Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. You would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at starting at verse 10 today. And while you're turning there, I want to look in that camera as I do and welcome everybody who's joining us online. I know that there are a lot of people who feel sick, allergies, so they're out today. And I know that we have a lot of people traveling as well, Thanksgiving. And so uh, we're so grateful that we have technology to be able to bring God's word to you, whether it's in, the, in your home or whether it's in your car on your way. Uh, to wherever you're going. Uh, We're just so grateful that you've joined us today as we close out this series. And how many of you guys are looking forward to Thanksgiving? A few of you? Yeah? How many of you are looking forward to Christmas? (laughs) How many of you are looking forward to a new year? All right, all right, okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll deal with that when that comes. But um, we are concluding this series, Little by Little, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And really what we've been saying is that Ephesians is divided in half. The first three chapters are all about who God is. It's the theology side of things. And so when we know who God is, then the second half, chapter four, five, and six, is all the practical side. How do we live this out? In light of everything that God has done for us, how do we live this out? And so over the last several weeks and months, we've been talking about how this plays out in the church, how this plays out in our relationships, in our family how this plays out in our workplace. And today, Paul is concluding. He signs off his letter, but he leaves us with some final instruction. And he knows that this is easier said than done. He knows everything that he's been writing about, everything that he's been talking about. He's like, hey, I know this is easy for me to say. It's a little bit different to live this out every day. But he leaves us with this final thought. And here's his final thought, that in many ways, following Jesus is a war. In fact, the title of today's message is What to Wear to a Battle. Now, I don't know about some of you all, but for me, I need some help when it comes to what do I wear. I uh, asked Jen even today, I said, does this look okay? Is there something wrong? Should I wear this? You know, and often on Sundays, I'm asking her, should I wear this? Should I wear that? We go shopping. I go, does this look okay? Am I going to be old fashioned with this? What's the style now? You know, like if we're going somewhere, like to a wedding, if I'm not performing the wedding, often I'll ask her, Am I supposed to dress up or is this more casual? Because, you know, I don't want to stand out. I'm an introvert at heart, and so I like to blend in. So I don't want to stand out one way or another, you know? And so I often have to ask her, I don't know how many of you need help with your wardrobe, but let me tell you, I need some help. And that's what Paul understands here. He's going to help us out today. Because, listen, we're not going to be talking about what happens or what to wear to a party. We're not even talking about what kind of comfy clothes we wish we were wearing watching a little football because it's raining and it's cold out right now. We're going to be talking about what do you wear to a battle. Because whether you realize it or not, you are in a very real and very serious battle. And if we're not careful, we can come to our churches that have comfy chairs, have some good coffee, you know, have an have a, a, a opportunity to get into community. We, we can come to our churches that have a staff and a budget, and we can just bury our heads in the sand. And we can forget that we are in the midst of a very real and very serious spiritual battle. Just how real is this battle? Some statistics that I found out this week tell us just how real this is. In fact, what I found out is that 1,700 pastors this year alone, every month, will quit or leave the ministry. That's 20,000 a year. I also found out that one in four Americans say that they are done with church. 
Half of Americans say that they're done with God and that he plays no role in their life. That's the highest this number has ever been in American history. In fact, the newest generation, Generation Z, so it's people born after 1995, that newest generation, the youngest generation coming up, 34% of them say that they're either agnostic, atheist, or non-religious. In all the generations that we've had, that's the highest that number's ever been. And that's all just what's happening here in America. When you look globally, there's 340 million people who live in a place where they experience some sort of persecution. This year alone, over 4,700 Christians will be killed because of their faith in Jesus. Over 4,400 churches will be attacked this year alone. Now, why am I saying all of this? To get us on a downer mood after watching a cool cartoon? Because this paints a very dark, very bleak picture for us. It could kind of make us mad, depressed. You know, it can make us a little sad as well. But here's what I'm trying to help you understand is that the reality that we are living in is we have a spiritual battle raging on for the souls of people. And there is no place on this earth where this battle is not being waged. Listen, it's being waged in your your neighborhoods, in your home, in your schools, in your workplace. There is no place on this earth where this battle is not being waged. And the stakes are eternity. Listen, there is one true God over this earth who wants all people to experience life. And there's a false God of this world who wants people to experience everlasting suffering in hell. We are in a very serious spiritual battle. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. And whether you said amen or not, it's the truth. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to close out his letter. And he's going to equip us. And he's going to tell us how we can stand firm in the midst of this battle. He's going to tell us what we can wear to a spiritual battle. And if you're curious with it, read with me uh, chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore... Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, or with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, or sorry, and let's see, uh, verse 19. And so for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There's a lot there, and there's a lot that we're going to unpack, and we're going to do it very quick, okay? There's a couple of things that Paul wants us to understand before we get ready for this battle, and then he gives us a practical example of how we can stand in the middle of this battle. And so the first thing he wants us to understand is that you have an enemy. 
You have an enemy, I have an enemy, we have a common enemy. And our enemy wants to convince us that he isn't real. That's why Paul tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Some of your translations might even read, we don't wrestle or we don't struggle against one another. What what he's getting at is we're not doing hand-to-hand combat with one another. We're actually fighting, doing hand-to-hand combat with the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers against the spiritual forces of evil. Listen, there is such a thing as Satan and there is such a thing as demons. Now I know as soon as I said that, for a lot of us, our minds go certain places, right? We think of a little cartoon figure in a red suit, maybe with some horns, little pitchfork tail. Maybe you could think of yourself and you're kind of dressed up in a red suit on one shoulder and then in a white gown in another shoulder. It's the good and evil of what's represented there. Because when we talk about Satan, we can kind of make our minds go a certain way or think certain things. Or maybe for many of us, we've heard or seen people exaggerate the role of Satan in our world. I mean, probably heard it before. You're driving on the way to church, you get a tire, and what do you say? Satan doesn't want me to come to church today. That could be true, but also could be that Clarksville is a rapidly uh, growing city. There's a lot of housing, there's a lot of road construction, so you probably picked up a nail on the way to church. So that could be possible too. But I think people try to blame Satan for every problem they have. You might even have the t-shirt or the mug that says, not today, Satan, right? We want to declare that. We want to say that. And it could be funny, and it could be a funny thing to say every now and again, but when we start to do that, we start to treat it like it's a figure of speech, and we become numb to all of it. In fact, what I found out is that over 60% of American Christians would say that Satan isn't real, that he's only a symbol of evil. Listen, Satan is trying to convince us that he isn't real and that he isn't here. And if he can make us believe that, it allows him to carry on completely undetected. So while it's possible for us to overestimate Satan in our world, it's also possible for us to underestimate him as well. Because here's the reality of the war that we are in. If you believe that you don't have an enemy and you believe that the enemy isn't real, then you start to believe that you don't have a battle. And if you don't have a battle, then you feel like you don't need to be prepared and you are playing right where the enemy wants you to be. Reminds me of what 1 Peter 5.8, it says, uh, Peter says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, you have an enemy. He has a name. It's the devil. He is a fallen angel and he leads an army of other fallen angels. But here's the good news. He's already been defeated. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion. That's a very important like, right? Do you want to take note of that? Because there's only one true lion of the Bible, and that is God himself, and he has already defeated our enemy. So here's what this means for you today. You have an enemy. I have an enemy, and he is real. He has a name. He is looking to kill, steal, and destroy everything that you have. He hates your guts, and in this battle, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory, because when Jesus died and rose again, he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. He defeated our enemy once and for all. So don't go through life floating around going, I don't have an enemy. He's not real. You do. He is very real. And he's trying to convince you that he isn't real. So once you understand that you have an enemy, here's the second thing. You need to know how your enemy works. 
Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God, which we'll talk about here in a minute. It says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You need to know how your enemy works. And one of the ways that he works is through deception. Our enemy is a liar. In fact, Jesus said that he's a liar. And he even said he's the father of all lies. Our enemy uses deception to tempt us. And he's tempting both the Christian and the non-Christian. So if you're here today and you're like, I'm not a believer, I'm not in this war, guess what you are? The enemy does not discriminate. Whether you're a believer, you're not a believer. The enemy is trying to tempt you with a life that is the opposite of what God would have for you. And the way that he is trying to do that, he's trying to lead you away from ever experiencing a life with Jesus. He's trying to rob you of the life here on this earth and lead you to an eternity separated from God to spend all eternity in hell with Satan himself. But if you're a Christian here, he even takes it up a notch too. Not only is he trying to rob you of this life, lead you away from this life, but he's also trying to steal your usefulness for Jesus, steal your usefulness for the kingdom. And the tool, or as Paul says, the schemes of the devil that he uses is temptation. Now, when you think of temptation, when you break it all down, it's basically this. It's rooted in a lie that someone or something other than God can meet or satisfy the desires of your life. For example, let's take the sin of worry. For some of you, you're like, worry's a sin. I'm a little worried now. I didn't know worry was a sin. But worry is a sin. How do we know this? Well, two times in the Bible, we're told that it's a sin. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, don't worry. Don't be worried about your life. Philippians chapter four, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Those words in the Greek are the same word. And so the Bible says it's a sin for us to worry. But what is worry? When you boil it down, when you break down worry, it's rooted in the lie that someone or something other than God is in control. See, the reason why we worry is because we bought into the lie of the enemy. The enemy would say, oh, do you see what's going on in society right now? You see what's going on in culture? You see the political landscape? Do you see all the unrest? Do you see what's happening at your job? Do you see what's happening at your home? Do you see how your boss is? And the enemy would love to say, hey, your boss is in control. The politicians are in control. Your circumstances, your situations are in control. And when we start believing those things, we start worrying. But what's the truth? God is in control. God is sitting on the throne. There is nothing that is happening in your life or my life or in the world that God doesn't already know about. And he's already working out for our good and for his glory. And so we don't have to worry because we know the one who's in control loves us. We'll take the sin of lust. The temptation to lust is rooted in the lie that someone or something or some experience other than your spouse can meet or satisfy the physical needs of your life. That's the sin of lust. All temptation, you put whatever sin you want in there. All temptation is rooted in the lie that someone or something other than God can satisfy the desires of your life. I think the point that Paul is trying to make here is don't find yourself sleeping through a war. There is a war going on in our world and in our lives. And here's the reality. If you don't think that there are spiritual forces that have an interest in whether you sleep around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, then you are mistaken. If you think that the enemy, if you think that there isn't an enemy that has an interest in whether you stay mad at your spouse, 
Whether you stay mad at your roommates, whether you stay mad at your parents, whether you stay mad uh, at, the, at the one another, the believers, people in this house, then you would be playing right into the enemy's hands. Satan wants to watch you suffer. And he wants you to live a life of sin separated from God. But here's my concern. We're standing in the middle of this war and some of us, we don't even realize it. And if we don't realize it, then we can't possibly be prepared to be engaged in it. And then what happens is we become another statistic that I just read. We see a generation be lost to the enemy. We see people walking away from the church. We could even break it down here at at Awaken Church. We could see people who get all fired up beginning of the year. I'm going to go to church. And then slowly it becomes less and less important in their lives. We're going to launch groups. They ended already for this semester. We're taking a break over the holidays. And then we'll revamp them again in the new year. But we always see a lot of people, I got to get in a group. I need community. And then we see a drop off. People sign up. They just don't show up. We start to lose heart. We start to fall into these things. So you need to know that you have an enemy. You need to know how your enemy works. And when you know those things, the practical side of things, this is the third thing for us, you can stand strong in spiritual warfare. You're able to stand strong in the battle. See, what what Paul is trying to do here in the first few verses, he's like, hey, everybody, it's time to wake up. It's time to be alert. You're in a battle. You have to be prepared for this battle. But he doesn't say, and by the way, good luck. Hope you have fun figuring this out. Uh, Let me know if you've got it figured out. He gives us something very practical for us to hold on to, to understand. He tells us how we can prepare for this battle. And the way that we prepare is by putting on the armor of God. See, we don't have to live defeated by the enemy. He's already been defeated. The key, though, to experiencing victory is in every moment of temptation, you expose the lie of the enemy to the truth of who God is and by faith believe in the truth. And that's exactly what Paul's saying in verse 13. He's like, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. His point is very simple. If you know you're in a war, then dress for one. See, no one just waltzes right on into battle wearing flip-flops and a t-shirt. If you're going into battle, you wear armor. And if you're a good soldier, you put the armor on even before you enter the battlefield. No soldier waits until he's in the middle of the battle to put on his gear. You don't wait until shots are fired and go, where'd I put that helmet now? Where is it? You know, where, where are my shoes? I need my shoes. Where's the shield? I need a sword. No one does that. The way armor works is that you put it on before you ever walk onto the battlefield because you are going to war every single day. But here's the reality. A lot of people, they just like to wait until uh, stuff hits the fan in their life. And they go, when, when hardships come, when persecution comes, when temptation comes, they go, well, where's my Bible? I better start reading now. Lord, give me something. I gotta have something. Oh, I gotta pray right now which those things are all good. You should do those things. But in a lot of ways, it's way too late. You need to have the armor on before you walk onto the battlefield. You have to be prepared when shots are fired at you. And before we look at these individually, I don't think Paul wants us to look at this armor as a checklist. I don't even think he wants us to look at this as a spiritual ritual that we go through every morning because somehow the armor fell off in the middle of the night and so we got to pray this armor back on. 
The armor of God is given to us as moment-by-moment practice, where in faith we respond to the lies of the enemy by believing the truth. And so that's why in verse 14, Paul starts with the belt of truth. Now, don't think of the belt that you're wearing right now, this flimsy old belt or, you know, some some wimpy belt. You got to think of like a policeman's belt. Better yet, you got to think of the Batman belt, right? Like that Batman belt has everything you need on it. It's got the grappling hook. It's got like some tools to fight the enemies with. It's maybe even got some smoke so you can run away, you know, just in case things get a little too hairy. He's got everything he needs on that belt. Everything hangs on that belt. Everything for a policeman hangs on that belt. And the same is true for Roman soldiers when he was writing this. Everything a Roman soldier needed hung on that belt. And here's the truth about what we're speaking about with the armor of God. Everything about this armor is held together by knowing the truth. If we're going to do battle in this world that we're living in, we have to know the truth. Jesus is the truth. We've been invited into a relationship with Jesus. And as you and I spend time alone daily with Jesus, we are preparing for this battle because we are getting close to the truth. Time alone with Jesus is the first and probably greatest step in preparation for this spiritual battle. That's why the enemy loves to fight against you and will give you distraction after distraction after distraction for trying to spend time alone with Jesus. Why does he do this? Because he wants to deceive you into a lie. So the last thing he wants you to do is carve out time to be alone with Jesus. He doesn't want you to spend time with the truth because if you're walking with the truth, you're gonna see the lie for what it is and you're gonna expose the lie to the truth. If you're not alone with Jesus, you are wide open to the attacks of the enemy. But listen, even though you might carve out time to be alone with Jesus, you're still gonna feel the battle. Time alone with Jesus doesn't mean there's not gonna be a battle. Time alone with Jesus just means that you're prepared for when it comes. That's why Paul says in verse 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We can think of this as like uh, armor or a bulletproof vest. And what a breastplate does is it protects the vital organs. So here's how all this works. When you put your faith in Jesus, God now sees you as righteous because of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, over time, God is transforming us to be more and more like him. But there will be times when Satan's going to come and attack the uncovered parts of you, the bad habits you have, the lack of self-control that you have, the areas of pride, the failure as a spouse, a husband, a wife, the failure as a parent, whatever is uncovered in your life, he's going to use that to attack you. And listen, what he's going to try to do is he's going to make you think that you're too sinful, that you're too far gone, that that's always going to be your story. There's no hope for you. That's the end. But as you put on this breastplate of righteousness, what you're going to find out is that you're more loved than you could ever imagine. You know, it's, um, it's, it's interesting because if you, don't, if you don't understand that, if you don't believe that, then if you just go back to chapter one, you'll see what that's all about. If you go back to chapter two, you'll see what God has done for you. Chapter one tells us that we are loved, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're adopted into the family of God. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Chapter two tells us that while we wanted nothing to do with God, he sent his son Jesus to live and die for us. So you are more loved. When you put on that breastplate of righteousness, you will realize that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. And then in verse 15, Paul says, as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
See, in that day, Roman soldiers, they wore sandals when they went to battle. But on their sandals, the nail went all the way through. And what it did was it gave them firm-footedness in the battle. We could think of it as like today's version of cleats. So the picture that Paul's wanting us to understand is that if we're not careful, someone or something can dig into our lives and hold its ground. One way that Satan loves to work is by capitalizing on personal conflict. He loves to take the anger, the bitterness that we have towards other people and use that to get a foot in the door so he can do his worst. And Paul says the good news of Jesus is that not only does he bring inner peace, he also brings relational peace. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you are a Christian here today, listen carefully. You should be very quick to forgive the people around you. If if you want to know more about that, go back to Ephesians chapter 4. The only way the world is going to know that Jesus is real is by the unity that we have. Go to chapter 5. We submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Here in chapter 6, we forgive one another. Why? Because forgiving breaks the power of the enemy. And as we submit to one another, as we show our unity, as we forgive one another, we are an answer to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 when he prayed for you and he prayed for me, when he said that we would be unified and the world would know that Jesus is alive and that he is real. So Christian, be quick to forgive because it breaks the power of the enemy. Having faith and confidence in God. He's talking about now moving on to verse 16, that the shield of faith can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So having faith and confidence in God, that no matter what situation you find yourself in, you have trust and confidence that God says who he says he is. See, back then on the battlefield, you wouldn't know exactly where all the arrows were coming in, where they'd be firing out, what direction they'd be coming in. And the same is true for our spiritual battle. You don't always know the tactics of the enemy. You don't always know the form of his tactics. And so these darts, or some of your translations might even read the arrows of the evil one, are these lies or these doubts that Satan throws to us about God. For example, he'll tell you, hey, you know your past? You think your future is going to be any better? You were a failure in your past? You're going to be a failure in your future. You know that divorce that you've wrestled with? You really fought for your marriage, but you got divorced? Well, guess what? You're not going to live a significant life after this. You know that sin that you committed? The Lord's going to look for ways to get back at you. He wants to get even, settle the score. Those are all lies from the enemy that he's telling you. And the only way that you will defeat those is extinguishing them by faith in God. Confidence in God's love for you extinguishes every doubt the enemy will throw your way. So let me ask you, where are you most likely to not trust God? Is it in his forgiveness? Is it in his forgiveness for the past? Is it for his provision for the future? Is it money? Is it relationships, your singleness, your marriage? One thing I love about awakened groups is that you have someone to do battle with. And what I love about awakened groups is that my faith helps the people in my group and their faith helps me. Two more and then we're done. Verse 17 says, the helmet of salvation. In the spiritual battle that we are in, we need to protect our minds, which is command central. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Satan recognizes the value of getting a foothold in our thoughts because he knows that if he could get into our thoughts, then he could turn those thoughts into an action. I've heard it many times. It's said many times before. Sow a thought, reap an act. 
Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. No one just wakes up and just happens to find themselves in sin. It all started with a thought. So we need to be on guard what fills our mind, what's coming in, what we're filling our minds, what we're letting into. And then the last one, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul here is referring to the truth about God found in the Bible. And you might be thinking, well, didn't we just cover this? Is Paul being repetitive here? We just talked about this with the belt of truth. Isn't it the same thing? Well, yes and no. See, uh, you may notice that this is the only part of the armor that is offensive instead of defensive. The belt, the breastplate, the helmet, the shoes, all of that stuff is meant to help us as we move forward because we're never retreating. We're always moving forward and it's meant to protect us against the attacks but the sword is meant to attack. And so Paul is talking about not just knowing the Bible, but also speaking the Bible. See, one of the tactics of the enemy, he did this in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. He misquoted scripture to Eve, which led to sin. And then in the New Testament, he appears to Jesus in the wilderness. He's misquoting scripture again to try to tempt Jesus, but Jesus knew his word. And so he's able to quote it right back to him. And avoid that temptation. The same is true for us. When we're faced with that temptation, we need to know so we can be able to quote God's word to be able to fight the, uh, the temptation that we find ourselves in. But it's not only for us just to fight with temptation, but it's also for us to talk to God in the midst of our difficult situations. In the Bible, there are a lot of men and women of faith who were going through some rough things. And what they did was they were praying the promises of God's truth right back at him. They're saying, God, this is who you said you were. Will you show up? Will you do something? They're going through something. They're saying, God, we're going through this. We're going through that. Would you do it again? That's exactly what Paul is talking about when he starts talking about prayer. Paul says that we need to stay alert. We need to stay ready for the battle. We need to prepare ourselves for it through praying at all times. Not some of the times, not occasionally, at all times in the spirit. And what's interesting in verse 18 is that Paul even kind of throws in a prayer request for himself. He says, in the same way that you're praying for God to do this for you, hey, would you just lift me up too and pray that he does it for me as well? He knows that no one is exempt from needing access to this spiritual armor. So what do you wear to a battle? It's the whole armor of God. It's not for us just to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. We can't go helmets. Pfft, those are dumb. I don't even wear one on my motorcycle. <laughs> ah, belt. Who needs belts? Shoes? Forget shoes. I need a sword. That's kind of cool. You know, I, I was reminded as I was studying this and thinking about all the pieces and, and all of that, I was reminded of my own kids this week. And they love, especially in the summertime, they love to ride their scooters, their skateboards, their bikes. And in the summertime in particular, they like to go out there and ride all that stuff barefooted. And I'll tell them, hey, you got to get on shoes. And they'll look at me and they'll go, no, my pigs need to breathe. That's what they tell me. I'll tell them, no, you need shoes. You'll hurt yourself. You'll run over your foot. You know, they'll be on a, I'll say they're riding their bike or whatever. I'll say, you need to get on a helmet. I'm good. I'm on this flat surface. I'm not going that fast. Their attitude is this. I'm Okay. I'm safe here. I don't need that helmet. I don't need shoes. And I think for many of us, we're the same way when it comes to our spiritual battle. We go, "Ah, a belt. 
Who even says breastplate anymore? Like, what is that? Sword. I don't need a sword. I've read my Bible through once. I've come to church. I'm good to go. I'm safe. I'm okay here. Every piece of the armor is important. I think part of the reason why people have such a hard time following Jesus and why people give up on following Jesus is because they don't know what to expect. Listen, every single day, you are going to battle. You are going to war. And you are kidding yourself if you think that in some time in your life, you're going to reach spiritual maturity or that you're going to live the sinless life here on this earth where you don't even need this armor anymore. You are going to war every day. And you have an enemy that hates your guts and he is seeking to destroy you. And every day he's going, hey, archers, line up. They all line up. They take their fiery arrows. They pull back their bows and you're being bombarded every single day with these arrows. And if you're here today and you feel the arrows of the enemy, be encouraged. That's Christianity. But where you should be concerned is if you're not feeling the battle at all. I think we need to remember ultimately, though, as we close this out, that this is the Lord's battle. It's not my battle. It's not your battle. I cannot win this in my own strength. I have to fight in God's strength. That's why it's called the armor of God. It's not the armor of Nate. It's not Nate versus the devil. It's not you versus the devil. It is God versus the devil. And I'm going to stand in his strength, not my own. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Jehoshaphat, and he had the right idea. He's leading the Israelite army into battle, and they're facing this greater, more uh, numerous army. And he says, hey, guys, the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And then he prays this prayer in 2 Chronicles. He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I think we could echo those words today and say, Lord, we're depending on you. We're standing in you. We're looking to you. We are in complete dependence in you. See, if we approach our lives like that, knowing that every day we are going to war, we're going to battle. If every day we understand that we have an enemy and he's trying to pretend that he's not real, that he doesn't exist. If you know that you're the main tool that the enemy is trying to use against you is deception, trying to tempt you. But you know that you have this armor of God because in Jesus, you have been given every single thing you need to stand firm and to fight well. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.